Welcome to St. James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast features edited highlights from our Sunday service held on September 4th, 2022. To find out how to join us and for more general information, please go to www.stjamesleith.org.uk. A very, very warm welcome to all of you here this morning, all of you here in the building, and also a big welcome to those of you joining us from home on Zoom. My name's Sally, and this morning we'll be hearing a reflection from our Rector Ian, and we'll be continuing to think about welcome, about the radical welcome we started to think about last week, and the, the massiveness, the expansiveness of that, which is quite a radical thing. We will now, as we usually do, light our candle and listen to our singing bowl. And those of you at home, if you have a candle, do light it too to prepare yourself in prayer and silence for our worship today. Friend and stranger, welcome in the name of Jesus. We gather Blessed are you, O God, maker of heaven and earth, giver of all good things. Creation sings your praises. Blessed are you, O Christ, Son of God eternal bringer of good news to the poor. Creation cries out for your justice. Blessed are you, Holy Spirit, giver of life and renewal, uniting us in worship and service. Creation longs for your wisdom. And if you are able and comfortable to, please stand for our first song.
come now to our time of confession. Trusting in God's forgiveness, let us in silence confess our failings and acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. Come home to yourselves and to each other. May all that is unfree in you be released and may you blossom into a future graced with love. psalm together today you have the words on your sheet on the printout with the readings I will sing the first verse with the music group um, just in case it's not familiar so you've heard it and then do please join in for the rest of the verses Bye. 
reading from the book of Philemon. From Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker. Just checking, can you hear me? Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Athia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I am appealing to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. And perhaps that is the reason he was separated from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you that we can freely come here this morning to worship you to hear your word. We pray for those who's coming to uh, gather as Christians is a costly thing. And in our gospel reading, we hear about the cost of following you. But help us now hear your word and understand that all are equal before the cross so that we may open our hearts and have a wider embrace 
of those we invite into our lives. Amen. So good morning to you all, uh, especially visitors and to those at home. Once a year, uh, Fiona and I, we receive a letter from uh, a Judith Lamborn, who is actually the sister of Francis Sedgwick, who used to come to this church. And um, it's a really amazing thing. When we get it, it comes through the post, and we put it aside, and we're really excited about this letter, because we, we seldom receive handwritten uh, letters. And we keep it, and that evening we switch the telly off, and we read this fantastic letter, which is full of anecdotal stories. Uh, in true Lamborn fashion, they have a large family. I think they had, uh, they had four children. I don't know how many Francis had, but the whole family, it's like a massive uh, clan. So we hear all about the children, and it, what she thinks about the news, um, very sort of amusing, uh, quite ex eccentric in many ways, but it's something that's really lovely. And it really made me think about the power of a letter. And I also have another example. Uh, a friend of uh, Fiona's, uh, Quentin, actually had his two best friends um, weren't speaking to each other over a long period of time, over something quite serious, really, a betrayal of trust, all sorts of things. And it was a year when the Berlin Wall was taken down, so Quentin decided to write a letter to both these friends. And in it, he was basically saying, look, if a wall can come down between the East and the West and everything, surely the wall can come down between you two. And he wrote this letter, and sure enough, the two people got together and were able to reconcile themselves to each other. So I suppose I, I, with those letters in mind, I often ask myself, um, and I suppose I'll ask you the same question, is, is there a letter in me uh, that will make a difference to somebody's life? Whether it's reconciliation, like uh, Quentin, whether it's just support or encouragement, affirmation. Uh, in my case, it's often reigniting a, a relationship that's kind of just faded. Um, neither of us have got in touch with each other. And so it's just, I, I sort of give that out to you to, to think about. There might not be, and that's fine, to just let it go. But maybe there is a letter in you uh, that will make uh, a huge difference because they're, they're very unexpected. I don't know about you, but ha um, as I said, we get kind of one proper, what I call proper letter. It's usually a, a late Christmas letter that Judas sends. We usually get it about May, May time, but uh, we always get it at some point. So that's drawn me to reflect on Paul's letter to Philemon. Um, I don't often preach on Paul, partly because Paul requires a lot of context, um, and it's difficult to fit into 10 minutes, but partly, I have to be honest, I do find him infuriating. I don't know if there's any, <laughs> anyone here in the same boat. Come on, be honest. Anyone else find? Yeah, a few, few others. Um, he writes the, some of the most beautiful passages in Scripture, uplifting, along with what I would say potentially some of the most oppressive um, passages that have been used um, to uh, kind of back up slavery, to back up patriarchy, etc. 
Um, and there seems to be real contradictions. Uh, and a helpful avenue for me to understand these incredible inconsistencies has been, uh, in particularly with slavery and uh, patriarchy, has been research done by Domin Dominic Crossan and Marcus P Borg, who propose this, and, and it's a proposal, it's not, not all academics would agree, that there are three Pauls in the New Testament. There is a radical Paul who wrote seven books, uh, uh, Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians, uh, 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, Philippians, and Philemon, the letter. And that was written well before the Gospels. Um, so it, it's the first account of Christianity um, that, that we hear. And they would propose that that is the real Paul, not without its contradictions and controversies, I might add. Then they have the conservative Paul kicks in in Ephesians Thessalonians 2 and Colossians, where Paul's radical ideas are toned down and domesticated and made more palatable. Uh, and hence, uh, Paul's radical views on slavery and patriarchy and others are softened. And these, Crossan and Borg conclude, were post-Paul and written a generation after his death. Now, there's no scholarly consensus for that, I might add, about these three letters, and they're often called the three disputed letters. So there's a, there's a lot of dispute about them. And then we have the reactionary Paul comes in, which is Titus and 1, or two, uh, one and 2 Timothy, which basically completely gut and de-radicalize everything Paul's saying. And most scholars would agree that that was written after Paul's death and uh, Aunt Paul's writing. So I, thought, I find that quite helpful. Uh, and to give an example of this movement from the radical to the conservative is this theme of slavery. In Philemon, he's questioning the right for a Christian to have a slave, but should be treated as a, a brother or a sister. Then we have the conservative uh, Paul kicks in in Colossians and Ephesians, where they would say the pseudo-Paul addresses slaves and slave owners as if it was perfectly normal. Makes no kind of address. And then in Titus, we get this passage. Tell slaves to be submissive to their masters and everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show completely and perfect fidelity so that in everything they may, uh, may be an ornament to the doctrine of God our Saviour. Ouch, you know, I mean, that, if ever you wanted um, a passage to justify slavery, you could pull that one uh, out. So you see this kind of if, contradictory evidence. Um, I rather sort of naughtily think of it in terms of uh, uh, politics. Jeremy Corbyn, radical, let's nationalize the railways, let's uh, tax Amazon, and uh, let's... Uh, uh, do all these things. Oh, he's unelectable. He'll never get any votes. A bit like Paul, you know, if you abolish slavery, you'll never get uh, people on side. Then Keir Starmer comes in. Let's soften what uh, Corbyn's saying. Let's not really say anything. Let's sit on the fence over everything. And then you have Liz Truss. I'm not going to say any more. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. And I'm very pleased Tim's not here because he would... Have a long conversation with me afterwards. <laughs> oh, he's on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure Tim will have a long conversation with me afterwards. Um, but uh, 
Let's get back to the letter, swiftly get back to the letter. The letter is written by Paul uh, in prison, probably in Ephesus, to Philemon, which is uh, the head of a household, which is Christian. If the head of the household became a Christian, usually the whole household did. And households of this type uh, would all have had slaves, and one of Philemon's slaves, Onesimus, has run away. A grave offense for a slave where severe punishment, even death, uh, might have happened. For slaves were considered worthless and often less than human. A little bit like the untouchables in India still are um, literally, their lives are completely expendable in some rural parts of India. But the Roman uh, Empire did have a little caveat. They said if death or severe punishment was imminent, Roman law allowed for a slave to flee to certain temples and uh, get support, or to go to the friend of the owner and beg and ask them to act on their behalf, to ask for mercy. And this is clearly what Anisimus has done. He's run to Paul for help in the process, and in that process, he's become a Christian. So Paul uh, not only has a pastoral dilemma to reconcile Anisimus and Philemon, but a theological and moral question which he works out, he's wrestling with through this letter. Because at the heart of everything Paul says and does is about works coming from faith, coming from faith in Christ, as against just doing works without faith. That's really at the heart of a lot of his letters. So this letter tells us a lot about Paul's theological thinking, uh, about how Christians should believe and act. And I think because he's wrestling with this theological uh, dilemma as well as a pastoral dilemma and moral dilemma, this is why we get this kind of roller coaster, up, down, carrot stick, good cop, bad cop uh, rhetoric through the letter, which actually on first reading, you think, oh, that's quite manipulative. You're, you're really kind of... And pulling every trick in the book. So what should Paul do? He can hide Anisimus away, send him away somewhere, keep him with him, uh, order Philemon to take him back, but instead Paul places himself in the middle of Anisimus on one side and Philemon uh, on the other, uh, a little bit like my friend Quentin between his uh, two friends. And he puts one arm around Philemon and one arm around Anisimus and decides to persuade Philemon to take Anisimus back as a partner. The word is uh, koinonia, which suggests mutual participation um, and mutuality, a brother as a social uh, equal. And as I said, Paul uses every trick in the book to do this. It's a masterful example of persuasive writing. He does the woe is me bit, the flattery, the guilt, the argument, emotional blackmail. There's actually quite a lot of humor and double meaning in it. And it would take too long really to analyze it in, in depth. But it's a really subtle and well-crafted letter. So he starts... Um, <coughs> by uh, saying, um, Paul, a prisoner of uh, uh, Jesus Christ, again with the potential of a double meaning, that he's a prisoner of Christ, 
He's so captivated by Christ that he's totally under Jesus' authority. And with the uh, underlying idea that Philemon, if I'm captivated by Christ, so should you. If I'm under Jesus, following Jesus' example, so should you. But also that he is literally a prisoner in chains because of his obedience uh, uh, to God. And uh, in the Roman Empire, they would often have a prisoner chained to a guard uh, a lot of the time. So he then puts his uh, arms metaphorically around Philemon, calling him a dear friend and co-worker, commending him for his faith and love, and that he's always in Paul's prayers. So I'll, I'll just read that bit out, and you can see the kind of um, flattery and, and, and saying how closely bonded he is to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Fear, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and faith towards the Lord Jesus. I pray that sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. Really is putting his arms around. So then after basking in these accolades, Philemon is hit by verses 8 and 9. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he's really uh, working Philemon here. So whether it's by Paul's command or responding voluntarily to Paul's appeal, it is Philemon's duty. Ouch, a kind of gotcha moment. And then to drill it home, he repeats that he's a prisoner and also an old man. How can Philemon refuse somebody who's in prison for doing his duty? And at this stage, we still don't know what the duty is. He hasn't actually said what is the duty that Philemon has to fulfill, but he's certainly laid the ground for that. So then Paul goes on to describe, having described what a deep bond he has with Philemon, he describes what a deep bond he has developed with Onesimus. So having put his arms around Philemon, he metaphorically now puts his arms around the runaway slave. And I'll read the passage. I'm appealing to, uh, to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is uh, indeed useful both to you and to me. It's a play on words because Onesimus actually means uh, useful. I am sending him, that is my own heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not be something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated for, uh, from you for a while so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially uh, to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. 
So Paul is saying, Anisimus is like a son to me. I wanted to keep him with me, but I've chosen not to, and it's like my heart being ripped out uh, as I send him to you. Emotive stuff. And this is where Paul's theology comes through. Perhaps he's suggesting God has ordained it, that, he, uh, that Anisimus might leave you as a slave, become a Christian, and return, not just uh, a free man, but a friend and a beloved brother. And that is, as I said, that is such a radical, in the context of the time, I can't stress how radical that is. I, it's so, the slavery was so embedded in that society. The nearest I could think about it in here is if Paul came up here and said Christians should not be driving cars. I mean, it's that radical. It's, it's just sort of, it, it's so embedded in our, you know, because of the environment, Christians they should not be in, in cars. That is the nature of this letter at the time. And it's difficult for us to sort of uh, see how radical this suggestion is. And then the phrase, both in the flesh and the Lord, is important because Paul is ensuring there is no get-out clause for Philemon. He cannot keep Onesimus, a Christian slave, by claiming that inside, spiritually, in our souls, we are equal before God. Basically, he's saying the equality of liberation for Paul must be both physical and social, as well as spiritual and theological. So Paul continues to push his point home. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. For I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about you owing me, even your own self. So just the word partnership is central to Paul's thinking. As I said, the Greek word is koinonia, meaning this mutuality of serving one another, equality and sharing. And again, as I've said, this is such an explosive uh, idea in that society where I think up to 30, 20 to 30% of the population were slaves. You know, what if, if other slaves uh, saw this and they insisted the right to be free? It could have really destabilized everything. So we then go deeper into Paul's theology. So he's got one arm round Philemon, one arm round Anisimus, and Paul, as I said, puts himself in the middle and he says to Philemon, if Anisimus has wronged you, you can charge it to me. I will take the debt and repay whatever needs repaying. So Paul is really modeling himself on the reconciling arms of Christ on the cross. He's willing to take any debts so that they can be reconciled, so that we can be reconciled to each other and to God. So as Christ took our, takes our anger, our wrongdoing, our resentment to set us free, Paul is doing the same here. And it's the only letter where he doesn't actually talk about the death and resurrection of Christ because he's actually enacting it uh, in person. So at the heart of the letter, we've got three things. Reconciliation, 
Paul standing in the middle of Philemon and Anesius, arms wide open, modeling Christ, the intermediary between God and us. And if you read the gospel, Jesus does it all the time, if you're looking for it. Example, uh, Zacchaeus, the woman being stoned, the woman anointing Jesus with oil. He actually takes the anger away from the crowd towards them and puts him on, on himself. I, I mean, I could, uh, hopefully, if I got, get those passages, I could uh, um, explain in detail how Jesus very subtly does that. So Paul is modeling uh, the cross of what Jesus did, uh, what De- Jesus did on the cross. So the second idea is this idea of partnership, koinonia, mutuality in service and equality. All, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, black or white, slave or free, are equal partners who can share in the gift of God's love and grace. In other words, the ground before the cross is absolutely level. Society's pecking order has no relevance whatsoever, which links in with last week, Joe was saying about the hungry coat that everybody is invited to the banquet, whatever they're wearing, whatever their status. And then thirdly, Paul is not only concerned with the freedom and well-being of Anesius, but also the well-being of Philemon and his spiritual growth and discipleship. He doesn't want Philemon to free Anesius out of duty, but he wants it to come from deep within. He's wanting Philemon to think in a Christ-like way, to grow as a Christian, for this understanding and love and respect for all to be embedded in his character. So the letter ends with a flourish. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident in your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So it is really a a powerful letter. And we don't know what uh, Philemon does, but I'm sure he couldn't really refuse after receiving this letter. And embedded in the letter is a wonderful story that I think, despite on first reading feeling manipulative, is actually full of love and grace, tinged with a, a mischievousness as well, which tells us so much about early Christianity and actually warms me a little bit towards uh, Paul. (laughs) Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, it's a complicated world. Help us to make the right choices this week about how we spend our time and our money and our emotional resources. We can get a bit overwhelmed, but you promised that those who hoped in you would renew their strength, that they would run and not be weary, that they would walk and not faint. Increase our hope Lord Jesus, increase our strength. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. In a moment's silence, just let's reflect on 
what Ian has been saying and think about what we might do this week to bring reconciliation. God, the parent of us all, have mercy on the world. We have not used our freedom well. We pray for all those who are now afflicted by climate change, particularly those left destitute in Pakistan and those whose crops and livelihoods have been burned up by the heat. Help us to know what we can and should do to support our neighbours far away, who are particularly hard hit now, but also to recognise this issue is very close to home. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we remember all those affected by war and oppression, the increasingly terrible war in Ukraine, the continuing conflict in Yemen with a whole new offensive just in the last couple of weeks, people in Afghanistan ravaged by war and now international isolation. We pray for charities we have supported who work in these areas, particularly Doctors Without Borders, and we seek for willingness to pursue peace. And we remember all those working here with refugees from Ukraine, from Syria, from so many other countries. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Help us as we think about the winter ahead in our church and our community. Some of us will have enough to cope. Others will be struggling. What should we plan to do now, Lord Jesus, to ensure that everyone is supported? Show us how we can work more effectively in partnership to deliver what is needed. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we pray for our community here at St. James. We thank for all those who lead our vibrant worship, who do lots of behind the scenes work, who preach the gospel to us, Thank you for all the support we get from each other. And as the needs around us change rapidly, help us to change to meet them. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we remember those known to us for whom life is particularly difficult, those who are seriously ill, who have been bereaved, Parents who have deep concerns about their children's welfare and children who have deep concerns about ageing parents. All those who have painful pasts. All those who find it hard to face the future. In a moment's silence, let's name them in our hearts. 
Bless us with your presence, Trinity of love. As we leave this place, as we go through the week, as we work or watch or wait for your guidance, as we reflect on our time, bless us with your presence, parent, friend and saviour, indwelling God, now and at all times. Amen.
you love, his comfort and his peace, his light and his joy, in this world and the next. And may the blessing of God the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen. <laughs>